We encourage being real, being vulnerable. I'm going to kind of open myself up to you guys a little bit and, uh, and confess something here. And before you get all judgy on me, just I know some of you share the same, same struggle that, that I have. So just keep that in mind. I, um, I am an Oakland Raider fan. <laughs> and I have, been, uh, I have been since I was 10 years old. And it's been, Bruce, just I lost control up here, so you're, you're driving. Um, it's been a rough, it's been a rough couple years. <laughs> they used to be the winningest franchise in professional sports history, um, but that's since changed. Last year, um, they traded away their star receiver for a handful of draft picks. Their star receiver went to the Dallas Cowboys. His very first game, he went off, and he had 200 plus, well over 200 yards receiving, several touchdowns, set all kinds of records, one of the greatest game a receiver's ever had. His first game with the Cowboys. We got a couple of draft picks. Maybe they'll work out, maybe they won't. Not everybody will recognize the name Amari Cooper. That's the receiver, right? That's the receiver who got traded. Um, but everybody knows Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth was the object of what is considered to be unanimously the single most lopsided trade in all of sports history. You'll notice he's wearing a Red Sox jersey. Not everybody knows that Babe Ruth started as a Red Sox. And he got traded for some cash and, wait for it, the rights to a musical. <laughs> he went on to become the greatest player in history. No, no, Nanette, mildly successful musical. Every once in a while, Summer Stock will do it. There is not a Boston fan alive who, if they could go back in time, would not undo that trade. Where am I going with all this stuff? Perhaps the single most lopsided trade beyond Babe Ruth is what Jesus offers us. Jesus offers us, Jesus encourages us to trade the checklist of religion for a relationship with him. A relationship made possible by him, a relationship initiated by him, a relationship explained by him, made possible through him. And he makes it possible for us to step through these doors so that we can grow into the people that he created us to be. So we're continuing on in our series on the Gospel of Matthew, calling it Road Signs, and we're looking at the directional uh, commands of Jesus. And roughly paraphrase, the command we're looking at this week is do not enter, or you will not enter. So in the book of Matthew, we're in what is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking to, uh, it says his disciples, and from what we can tell, the guys that we talked about last week, the four men, they actually went and they traded their careers as actual fishermen for the job that Jesus gave them of being fishers of men. They're there, and it says a large crowd had also gathered around him. So in that crowd, there are religious leaders, Pharisees, scribes, and there's also just everyday, everyday Joes. And Jesus is laying out the specs for the way life is to be in the kingdom that he is in the process 
of initiating. He's doing some redirecting and some correcting. And that's where we pick up, that's where we pick up the text this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's the command. You will not enter. So we're going to kind of break this down and, and look at it starting in verse 17. It starts with the phrase, do not think. That phrase is telling us that there was word going around, scuttlebutt talk, that Jesus, there's, Jesus has earned kind of a reputation and people aren't sure what to make of him. They're afraid, especially the religious leaders, that he is going to do damage to what they're trying to teach the people. The word there, abolish, it's, um, the word picture is a house being torn down. So it's not just Jesus is like, you know, tweaking things a little bit, that they're, they're worried that he's just going to tear down what, what they had been teaching. When in reality, it says, I have come to fulfill them. Now, he comes to fulfill them in three senses of the word fulfill. The Old Testament, there's hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah, and Jesus perfectly fulfills all of those prophecies. There's over 613 laws that are to be abided by in the Old Testament. Jesus perfectly fulfills the requirement of every one of those. To the letter of the law, also the spirit of the law. And the word that Matthew chose here when he wrote this, fulfill, it could also be translated as the word for interpret. Because Jesus uniquely and perfectly fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies, and because he is the only one who fulfilled or could fulfill all of the requirements of the law, he is the only one who can perfectly interpret the law. Prophecies, requirements, interpret. Verse uh, 18 and 19. It talks, Jesus stresses the importance. Bruce, you can go ahead and, and go ahead. Oh, there's actually, I had some verses that go along. Um, Bruce, put up the Psalm 119. We'll get there. Um, Jesus talks about how important God's word is. The, to, to the very smallest letter, to the very stroke of a pen, there's not a part of it that we can disregard. It's all important. It's all God-breathed. It's all for us so that we can better understand God, we can better understand ourselves, better relate to God, better relate to each other. Jesus goes on to say that it won't pass away. This is Psalm 119, verse 89, I think. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. There is no thought exercise. There's no um, ideology, no fad there's nothing that will replace or outlast God's word. When all said and done, Jesus and his word, Jesus is the word, will remain, will remain standing. 
Can you put the next slide up, please, Bruce? The, um, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament ex- extensively. Uh, everything from when he uh, is in the wilderness and Satan is tempting him, Jesus uses scripture to, to battle that temptation. When the people ask him who you are, he uses Old Testament scripture. I am who I am. Right? He, he uses a direct quote from God that people would recognize as Jesus' claim to, to being God. When Jesus comes on the scene, I said that he perfectly interprets the law. The law, the Old Testament, the prophets had been uh, added to, it had been changed, it had been misused, misappropriated, abused. So Jesus comes on the scene and he clarifies, he clarifies what, what, was, what was happening, what the word of God was meant to be from, from the beginning. Um, Bruce, could you put up the, the Wilkins quote, please? This is uh, one of the commentators says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, God's word was designed to instruct God's people in his will so that they might fulfill his purpose for them. Somebody want to read that? I'm struggling to. Uh... But they were not to rely on its requirements as a means of fulfilling their righteousness. The law was given to point out humanity's sinfulness and need for God and to lead humanity to Christ, by whom they will be justified by faith. So the eye doctor tells me my vision should be back by uh, the end of July. So hopefully we'll, <clears throat> we'll be moving on. Had a great plan to have an iPad up here instead of my phone. So I had bigger text and I could blow it up and I can read it. Crashed. Um, technology is a beautiful thing when it works. This quote from Wilkins just is really a great encapsulation, like a microcosm of the, the clarity that Jesus brought to the word. God's word is intended to remind us, to point us to our purpose. Love God, love others. Like Tom said when he got up here and was welcoming everybody, that we find that in God's word. Old Testament, Jesus quotes it in the New Testament, two most important, important commandments. Beyond the directions about our purpose, God's word reveals him and his character. Not just the things he can do for us, but who who he is. His enormity, his knowledge, his wisdom. It informs us about who we are as humanity, and it informs us as individuals. You guys, if you will allow it to, if you will give it the time to, the Bible will read you. It will supernaturally speak to you. And I'm not talking about like in a creepy way. I'm talking about you're sitting there and you're reading and something just jumps off the page at you and you're like, I have never talked about that with anybody. I have never shared that fear. I've never shared that dream, that struggle. And God is speaking directly to it. God's word is alive and active, and it will, um, it will transform us if we, if we give it the opportunity to. The other thing that Wilkins points out about God's word is, um, I kinda, in my notes, I, I had this written down as, it's the single longest running ad campaign in history. The Bible, in its entirety, from beginning, middle, and end, all points to Jesus. Written over the course of 1,500 years, it all points to Jesus. The Old Testament, 
New Testament, the Gospels, and it, it talks about him and his power and his supremacy and who he is and how he works and what he can work in us and through us and, and for us. So Jesus is a huge fan of, of God's word. That shouldn't be a surprise, right? All right, so let's move on. Can we put um, verse 20 back up there? Or not back up there, up there. This is kind of like the, the, our, key, our key verse for this morning. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The righteousness of the Pharisees is, um, is a really high bar. The Pharisees were known for their, the meticulous way in which they kept the law. It's to the point of they, they tithed, they gave 10% of their produce. Ten nectarines, one of them is going to the temple. Their dill, spices, whatever. They, but they, they, they had the, the details, but they got lost in the details. Pick, pick your expression, right? Whether you, you can't see the forest for the trees or we're getting caught in the weeds. Gail and I love to watch cooking competitions. They use that phrase all the time. You're caught in the weeds. You're caught in the weeds. It means you're jammed up in the details and you lost sight of the big picture of what, of what is going on. And that's what happened to the Pharisees. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he says, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. And the, um, the paragraphs that follow these four five verses that we're looking at, Jesus goes on to kind of unpack what, what he means um, by that big picture, by exceeding the righteousness of the Pharisees. And he points it out by way of drawing our attention to what's on the, what's on the inside. Check your heart, the song, right? Check your heart. He talks about, uh, it says, you've heard it said, do not murder. I tell you, do not be angry. Do not commit adultery. I tell you that if you have looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You make an oath. You swear by God that you're going to keep your word. Don't bother. Just do what you, just do what you say you're going to do. You've heard it said, hate your enemy. Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemy and enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, that was the, that's the one that really jumped out at me, especially given our current cultural climate and everybody just seems to pick a side. We're not supposed to hate our enemies. We're supposed to love our enemies and, and, and pray for them. All of those things, so the letter of the law, do not murder. The people are thinking, great, I haven't killed anybody. Check. I haven't slept with anybody's wife. Check. You got really angry though, didn't you? Held on to that in your heart but nobody else knew. That stuff's going on on the inside. Nobody else knows that that look wasn't just a look. The thoughts of what's going on. Even, even like the hate piece. You can like straight up hate somebody, but hey man, how you doing? Like inside, that's all going on. Jesus wants our heart. He actually, he wants to give us his heart. He wants us to trade our heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And that is the only way. It's actually Jesus' righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. And that's 
the only way that we can, that his audience could exceed that, that meticulous care and, and adherence to the law. Here, folks, here is the most life, lopsided trade in the history of, of trades. There's this supernatural transaction that takes place. When we come to the point in our lives when we believe in the things that Jesus said and did and we still believe in the things that he says and does and we ask for his forgiveness, there's a supernatural transaction that takes place where our sin and our wrongdoing is given to Jesus and in return, we get his righteousness. We get his grace. We get his forgiveness. We trade our shame for his dignity. We trade our brokenness for his wholeness. We trade our mistakes for his perfection. Pick whatever, whatever. We, tr- we trade our hurts and our pain for his comfort. We trade our isolation for being in his family. We trade our nothing for his everything. We trade our defeat for his victory. And that victory, that trade, is what allows us to be transformed from the inside out. You know, Jesus, Jesus said it's, it's not what goes into us that defiles us, that makes us unclean, that's a wrongdoing, but it's what comes out of us from the inside out. And that's what he wants us to work on. And it's not, it's not easy. It's challenging. Like when we think about anger and we think about lust and we think about hatred and we think about honesty, man, there is, I won't speak for you guys. For me, there's like all kinds of stuff in there. There's my relationship with my dad. There's the family that I grew up in. There's the, the, my extended family and the baggage that they brought into my parents' lives. There's the, my relationship with my sister. There's the way that I think. There's my tendency to be a people pleaser. There's the internal work that each of us has to do is big. It's big and it can be hard and it can be overwhelming. But in and through Jesus, he opens his door and he gives us the opportunity to become the people that he created us to be. So all of that stuff, whatever it is, there's not a person in this room who doesn't have stuff. Right? We all have stuff that we have to work through. And I want to give you, uh, we're going to look at one uh, passage, Philippians 4, 8, and 9. And I, I really, I, I like this passage for this conversation because not only does it help us understand um, the, the idea of, of doing the internal work, and specifically, we're going to look, so there's lots of internal work, right? There's thoughts, there's emotions, there's feelings. We're going to look specifically at, at our thoughts right now in, in Philippians 4, 8, and 9 and get a bigger understanding, better understanding of what it means Right, to do that internal work, and then a practical application of it. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, 
think about such things. And I, I just split it up. We're gonna, that's eight. We're going to look at nine again in a second. What we think about changes us. If we are obsessed with the way we look and everybody else's before and after pictures on Instagram, that's going to affect what we do. It's going to affect how we treat people. It's going to affect how we look at people. Not only that, but the things that we think about actually change the physiology of our brain. Our brain is such that we can train it. And the more we learn about the brain, we used to think that you get to a certain point, like you get to 30 and you're done. Just like all downhill from there, you can't learn anymore. But the brain is, it's plas there's plasticity to the brain and it can be rewired. Um, can you go uh, the, put the quote up? Yeah, oh, this is gonna be fun. <clears throat> What's that? Can you turn one of these microphones on, Bri? Here, come over here, babe. Okay. We, this was not planned, sorry. Okay, ready? What flows through your mind also sculpts your brain in permanent ways. Think of your mind as the movement of information through your nervous system, which on a physical level is all the electrical signals running back and forth, most of which is happening below your conscious awareness. As a thought travels through your brain, neurons fire together in distinctive ways based on the specific information being handled. And those patterns of neural activity actually change your neural structure. So more. Busy regions of the brain start making new connections with each other and existing synapses. The connections between neurons that experience more activity get stronger, increasingly sensitive, and start building more receptors. New synapses are also formed. Thank you, okay. So did you guys get that? Like, the more, the more time you spend thinking about something, it engages your brain, and your brain gets better at thinking about those things, and it creates more structures to think about those things. The more time you spend thinking about things that are pure, thinking about things that are lovely, thinking about things that are excellent and praiseworthy, your brain becomes more adept at picking those things out, at recognizing those things, at responding to those things. The more we get in to the Word of God, the better we become at recognizing the movement of God. Right? God gave us His Word so that we could stay connected to Him. This, this is the clearest form of communication that we, that we have from Him. Perfectly interpreted for us by Jesus, perfectly fulfilled by Jesus. It's our job to engage, to engage with it. Right, so here's, here's the challenge for this week. Every, every morning, I want you to get up, and before you do anything else, I want you to read Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Right, we have, folks, we have no excuses. Everybody, everybody has one of these. There's at least 17 million different Bible apps on here that you can pull down. There's, version has all kinds of different versions. Um, if you say that it's a, it's a time crunch, I would encourage you to turn on your screen time monitor on here and let it tell you how much time you're on Instagram or Facebook. And then just take five minutes of that and give it to God's word. Maybe 10, right? 
Um, The Bible's hard to understand. There are numerous, numerous different versions of the Bible. And one that I would recommend that if you struggle with understanding the Bible is called NIRV, New International Reader's Version. And it's written in a language and a way that makes it easier to understand. Um, I actually uh, spent my, the, my devotional time this week reading, reading that version. And you can go to U version and you can, you can pull it up, you can listen to it, it's right there. So we're out of excuses, that's the challenge for this week, Philippians 4, 8, and 9, every morning before you look at anything else, before you do anything else, if you want to maybe brush your teeth, whatever, fine, but before you read or look at anything else, Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Um, Bruce, can we put up 9? Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So internal work can be difficult because you have to make yourself vulnerable. Right? You, need to, you, you need to involve somebody else in the process. You have to expose that stuff that maybe you've been like trying to keep shoved down for the majority of your life or stuff that you would rather not talk about. Um, I would encourage each and every person to find somebody who has maybe been walking with Jesus longer than they have and somebody that they recognize Jesus in. Paul was saying, whatever you've seen, whatever you've heard, he's talking about the things, the parts of Jesus that people saw in him imitate me. Find somebody that you think you see Jesus in, go up, tap him on the shoulder and say, I see Jesus in you and I think that's really, really awesome. Would you mind if I just kind of rode shotgun with you for a while and just ask you some questions about life? Be brave, be intentional, ask somebody for their input. Give somebody permission to speak truth into your life. Give somebody permission to encourage you. Give somebody permission to challenge you. If you are new to faith or new to Jesus or you're younger, Track that person down, tap them on the shoulder. On the other hand, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, or you're a little bit older, you have more experience in the faith, and you see somebody younger than you or newer to faith, and they're walking a road similar to the one that you've traveled, go up to them, tap them on the shoulder, say, hey, I got to go to Home Depot. You want to come with me? Invite that person, those people, into your life and say something similar to this. I'm not gonna, when I've invited people to do this with me, I'll say, look, I am far from perfect, but I would invite you to, bless you, to hang out with me and my family and to watch the parts of Jesus that you see in me. Learn from the mistakes that, that I make as well as the things that I do well. Um, these relationships are critical, and they don't, just, they don't just happen, right? You have to be intentional about engaging in them, and you have to be intentional about maintaining them. I'll also say this. If, you, if you're looking around and be like, man, that person's really just really grown in their faith. Like, I can really see, really see Jesus in them. I would, not typically a betting man, but I would bet that at least 97% of those people are involved in 
a relationship like that, a mentor, they have a mentor, they have a coach, they have a spiritual director, somebody who they've given permission to speak truth into their life. So that's kind of like reading the Bible before you do everything, five minutes in the morning, Philippians 4, 8, 9, just two verses. That's entry level. That's like 101, 201, 301 level. Find, if you don't already have a relationship like that, find one. Find one. Get involved in, in that in that relationship. So this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about lots of different things. He lays out the specs for life in the kingdom. He gives us, he gives us correctives. And he, more than anything, he invites us to accept his righteousness in that supernatural transaction in which we get his righteousness and he takes on all the garbage all our shortcomings, all of our failings. And like Patrick said when he was praying, he bore them on the cross. He bore them and he beat them. So, folks, the offer on the table this morning is this. Trade your checklist religion and trying to get all lost in the details. Trade your checklist religion for a relationship, an ever-growing, life-changing, life-altering relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Um, we thank you that, Jesus, you uh, are the perfect fulfillment of the word. We thank you uh, for your explanation of it and simplifying it for us and just telling us to love God and love others. Jesus, you, uh, you know each of us better than we know ourselves, and you know the stuff that each person has. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be at work right now, right now, in this moment, and that you would be drawing people, calling people towards you, at least one step closer to you. I pray that people would be opening up their hearts, opening up their minds to you and to your movement. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your righteousness is our righteousness. I thank you that through your work, your sacrifice, your suffering, that we are able to grow into the people that you created us to be. Holy Spirit, make us people of, of the word. Make us people of relationships. God, give, give us the courage to do the hard work that we need to do, to work on our thought life, to to be aware of our feelings and our emotions and, and to look at them through your word. Lord Jesus, thank you um, that you traded us your everything for our nothing, that you've given us your victory. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.